For millennia, people from different countries, cultures, and backgrounds have found direction and encouragement in the inspired pages of the Bible. In his day, Jesus directed listeners to search the prophecies of Scripture to find Him the only way of salvation. 2,000 years later, as we stand on the brink of eternity, we no less need the purpose and hope God's Word provides. Sacramento Central Church brings you Receiving the Word, timely Bible messages presented by Pastors Chris Buttery and Mike Thompson. Amazing revelations await you in God's Holy Word, the Bible. We are living and we are witnessing the momentum of the Bible's last day signs that Jesus mentioned. Uh, They're certainly gaining all of these things that Jesus talked about. Uh, In the natural world, we see disasters surmounting. In the economic world, we see that there are problems and that there are more problems looming. In the political world, we see that there are challenges beyond resolution. And in the social world, we continue to see moral social decay that's very concerning. Now, in the letter to Timothy that Paul wrote, 2 Timothy, the second letter he wrote, I want you to invite you to, to turn there with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in verses 1 through 5, <clears throat> Paul outlines the attitude that would exist in the last days. But it's interesting that the attitude that he lists here isn't necessarily, the, necessarily and only the attitude existing in the world but also the attitude that is existing in the church. For notice it says, for in the last last time, in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Notice verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such, he goes on to say, from such people turn away. Because of the increasing selfishness that we witness in Christianity, the church would profess godliness, but not have power. The power to transform lives through the preaching of the everlasting gospel, the power to stem the tide of immorality, the power to turn this world right side up as in the days of the early church. Now, because of this lack of power witnessed in Christianity in the last days, prophecy reveals that most of the Christian church would seek the right arm of the state to impose her views and thereby gain adherence. If it can't be done through winsome love and persuasive argument, then it must be done through force. This will become the mantra. At least that's what some of the reasoning will be. John called this in Revelation chapter 13, the image to the beast or the likeness of the church in the middle or the dark ages when tyranny and injustice won out over loving persuasion and truth. According to the Scriptures, in this day, the world will be plunged into another dark ages, the likes of of which we have never seen. In uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, Daniel said that we will be engulfed in a time of trouble such as never was. We're also warned about the omega of apostasy 
and it will rise near the close of time in our beloved church. We don't have time today to explore all of what this means and the nuances of it, but suffice to say, the increasing demise in spirituality, the compromise of truth, the entrance of practices that are unbecoming of the people of God should lend favor to the realization that we are nearing the return of Jesus. Some of these challenges that we witness is not a call to leave the church. It's not a call to become discouraged or disheartened. It's a call to lift up our heads and know that our redemption is drawing nigh. All of this tells us that we must be mindful of the religious trends when realizing how near we are to the close of time, how near we are to the second advent of Jesus. Now, with all of these mounting challenges, and they will continue, Jesus told us that these were, would be the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of birth pains. Jesus revealed in His mighty sermon in Matthew chapter 24, uh, and He recorded that in Matthew 24, it's recorded in Matthew 24 and 25, what type of people we must be in the closing days of earth's history. Jesus mentions People who will, for example, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 13, who will endure till the when? Till the end. They'll go through holding on to the hand of Jesus. Also in verse 14, it says that there'll be people who'll be witnesses to the power of the gospel in their lives. And then it also says in verse 45 that we, God's people, will be faithful and wise and will know how to give bread in due season. Notice it says there, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. And these stories, the, 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 the type of people that Jesus talks about that would be living in the last days are reflected in four stories in Matthew 24 and 25, the story of the faithful and wise servants, in Matthew 25, you've got three stories, the ten bridesmaids, you've got the businessman who distributes his responsibilities, the talents, and then, of course, the story of the sheep and the goats. And the wise and faithful of Matthew chapter 24, those who are living like Jesus will come anytime. Their words are compelling because their lifestyle is convincing. The wise and the faithful uh, of the bridesmaids are those who are allowing the truths of God's Word to change them, thus making them recipients of God's grace. And that shows in good works and their lives shine like the noonday sun. They have a personal, joyful, trusting, abiding relationship, obedient relationship with Jesus. Then you've got the wise and the faithful of the employees entrusted with their employer's goods. And those have learned, they have learned that the law of self-development is their first law, their first duty rather, to God and to man. They truly love. And then the wise and the faithful of the sheep, uh, they remind us that fulfilling the role of genuine Christianity is primarily in the world of being far more than in the world of just knowing what is right to do and just doing the occasional right, but in being a Christian, in being more like Jesus. And they realize that there's no favorable time and there's not going to be a more favorable time like the present to win people to Jesus' side. They sympathize, God's last day people. They sympathize with Jesus when He told His disciples long ago that the fields are already white for harvest. He said that in John 4 and verse 35. And He also said that the harvest is great. Now, just turn with me over to Luke chapter 10. 
Luke chapter 10. We're building on some thoughts here over the next few weeks. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, notice what Jesus said. He's about to send out his, the 70 of his followers, two by two. And he tells them in Luke chapter two, 10 and verse 2, he said to them, the, late, the harvest is what, friends? The harvest is truly great. What did he mean? The harvest is truly great. Jesus wanted his disciples and us to see the world through new eyes, through a new, have a new perspective on the world, that there are many boys and girls waiting and ready, men and women waiting and ready to be gathered into his harvest, you see. It's not referring to the harvest at the end of the world when the uh, saints will be gathered and the wicked will be judged. We know Jesus is using the metaphor of a harvest here in Luke 10 to refer to missionary endeavors, Again, leading men and women, boys and girls, into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and gathering them into his kingdom. This is the meaning of the harvest spoken of in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. And Jesus said, the harvest is what, friends? Great. The harvest is great. Look at the world through new eyes. The harvest is great. Irrespective of what you think, irrespective of what you may see, see with my eyes, Jesus says, new eyes, the harvest is great. And that's wonderful news. That's good news. That means we're not doing what we're doing here in vain because the Holy Spirit is out there touching hearts, working in people's lives and getting them ready to hear the message of the everlasting gospel. That means our work is not in vain. It's good news. The harvest is truly great. However, in the same verse, Jesus not only gives us encouragement, the harvest is great, but he also says, well, he also reveals that there is a problem. He identifies a problem the Lord of the harvest has to contend with in the same verse. Let's read it again. Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Why is there few laborers? Was there a inadequate number assigned. In that case, perhaps uh, we could blame the Lord of the harvest for the lack of laborers. Maybe he didn't quite calculate it right. Maybe he didn't see that uh, the harvest would be great and therefore just commissions a few just in case it wouldn't be. In that case, we could blame the Lord of the harvest. He should have anticipated the size of the task. If he knew the harvest was going to be abundant, he should have assigned, assigned a larger crew to work. Maybe it's his fault that the laborers are few. What do you think? Is it his fault? Ask yourself the question. How many individuals has the Lord of the harvest called to be laborers in his harvest? Right. Well, if you answered everyone who chooses to become a part of his kingdom, then you're right. Jesus commanded to go and preach, when he commanded to go and preach the gospel to every person, he was intending more than just the 11 disciples who he was talking to at that point. It was more than them, you see, talking to more. Jesus' command to go preach the gospel to every person was intended for more than the 11. When he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then, of course, I'm with you always, even till the end of the world. When he said that, he meant that instruction, not just for those who were listening as he was, as he was being taken up to the Father, but for all his disciples of all time, especially those living in the closing scenes of earth's history. He meant that instruction for all of us, all those who accept the call to become a part of his kingdom, you see. 
One of the last day signs, one of the last day signs would be the proclamation of the gospel. We read it earlier in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. It tells us that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, and then what will happen? The end will come. And what, when the end comes, is that bad news or good news? Well, for the lost, it's not great news, but for the saved, the redeemed, this is great news because uh, in the beginning of that discussion, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, please tell us when shall these things be? What shall be the signs of your coming and the end of the world? The disciples likened the end of the world to the second coming of Jesus. Jesus answers the question. So when he said, when the gospel goes to all the world for a witness, it means that if it, if it happens and it will happen, that he's coming back Again, wonderful, encouraging news. The fact is that when he said that, God basically is dependent upon you and I making that happen, taking the gospel to the world you see. Uh, it depends on us. and We may have to settle that for just a moment. If he summons all of us to participate in the Lord's harvest, perhaps our initial question should be modified. Instead of asking, why aren't there few laborers? Perhaps should we, we should be asking, why are there so few laboring laborers? So few laboring laborers. Most of the so-called laborers don't seem to be laboring according to what Jesus is saying. They appear to be inactive. The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. In the midst of a generation screaming for answers, according to Jesus, Christians can't be heard because there's only a few of them. Why? That's the question. Why? Maybe there's several reasons why, and I'd like to explore those with us here uh, in these remaining moments. Number one, perhaps one explanation for the sparse number of labors reaping the Lord's harvest is that some of us labors have become distracted. Distracted. Uh, don't we care that people are saved or lost? Are we deliberately turning a deaf ear to the appeal of the Lord of the harvest? Have we let something more important capture our attention? Distracted. What does that mean? What does distracted mean? We're going to put that definition up on the screen. It just simply means showing a lack of concentration. Showing a lack of concentration. There's a story involving Yogi Berra, the well-known catcher for the New York Yankees, and Hank Aaron, who at that time was the chief power hitter for the Milwaukee uh, Braves. And the team was playing in the World Series, and as usual, Yogi was keeping up his uh, chatter, intending to pep up his teammate and distract the Milwaukee batter on the other. And as Hank Aaron came to the plate, Yogi Berra tried to distract him by saying, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You're supposed to hold it so you can read the trademark. Aaron didn't say anything. But when the next pitch came, he hit that ball into the left field bleachers. So he ran around the bases, around that field there, tagging at home plate. Aaron looked at Yogi Berra and he said, I didn't come here to read. I didn't come here to read. Figuratively speaking, we're all standing on the plate. The question is, what are we doing here? What are we doing on the plate? What is the main objective as a Christian? One can recite the correct answer. But like one day when I was challenged, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. <laughs> Jesus shared a couple of stories to, uh, related to this problem. And we've talked about these recently in the parables. Uh, one was about the father who had two boys. The father asked them to both go work in my vineyard to be reapers in the harvest. One refused to go, but later regretted his hasty decision and he went. The second initially agreed to go, but he 
didn't go. Have you ever wondered why the second son didn't actually go and work in his father's vineyard? Uh, Do you think he was lying to his father, deliberately trying to deceive him? Probably not. He probably intended to go, but somehow someone or something captured his attention as a boy directed to go do some work would probably, it would probably happen. Before he knew it, the day had slipped away and the work wasn't done. The story does leave us wondering what might have caused him to become a non-laboring laborer. In another story, in Luke chapter 14, and I invite you just to turn over there with me, just a few pages from Luke 10, Luke chapter 14, Jesus told some guests, uh, invited some guests to a great banquet, and they weren't, and they weren't invited, they were rather, they were invited uh, to this banquet, and the laborers were told to uh, go out and get these folk. And these folk that came to the banquet weren't called to be laborers. They were just told to come to the banquet. They just had to show up and enjoy the party, but they also became distracted. If you read the story, you discover some of the excuses. Look at verse 16. This is where the story is. And he said to them, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to do what? Make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. The other said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Do you notice the distractions? Now, they were excuses, but they're also used as uh, distractions, material possessions, a piece of land, business activity, trying out a new workhorse, so to speak. Even relationships can be a distraction. Uh, In this case, it was the person he got married to. Anything inherently wrong with these things? Nothing inherently wrong with these things. But when any one of them gets in the way of God's invitation, then it becomes a real problem, a real problem. So perhaps one reason why there are few laboring laborers is that some have become distracted. Another second possible explanation that there might be few laboring laborers participating in the Lord's harvest, is that some have become indifferent, indifferent. The dictionary suggests that indifference is showing no care or concern for or interest in something or somebody. Edmund Burke said, and you're familiar with this, the only thing necessary for triumph to evil is for good men to do what? Do nothing. It's a plague of humanity and certainly a curse of the church. Actually, distractions lead to indifference. If you go back to Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the church of Laodicea. I want you to notice this with me. Revelation chapter 3, and we'll read verse 17. Notice what it says here about the attitude and condition of God's last day people. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, it says, because they say, talking about His church, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that they are wretched, or you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Here we see a picture of spiritual arrogance at its best. I don't need anything. And spiritual arrogance leads to lackluster performance. Thank God, however, in the same verses here, God offers a way out of our lethargy. He says, look, I'm going to counsel you to do several things. I'm going to counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, a white raiment that you might be clothed and, uh, and eye salve that you might see, you understand. Uh, anyone feeling perhaps today not too concerned 
about the Lord's harvest, and then, then, then Jesus has a solution for us. Jesus can turn things around. As a matter of fact, in the church of Laodicea, Jesus is seen on the outside of the church and not on the inside because he's standing at the door. And what's he doing? He's knocking on the door. But when we invite and swing wide the door open and we invite Jesus into our lives, he changes things, revolutionizes our life. There's a reformation that takes place, a revival, and indifference is shed and we get on the bandwagon and become laboring laborers for our master in his vineyard. Jesus can turn it around for us. So there's a couple of reasons, distractions, indifference. A third possible explanation that so few laboring laborers participate in the Lord's harvest is that some have become discouraged, discouraged. After all, the task is huge. Because the harvest is truly great, some feel overwhelmed, and that's pretty natural to feel that way. How does a laboring laborer, non-laboring laborer become discouraged or a laborer become discouraged? Discouragement is simply feelings of lost motivation, confidence, or optimism. There's a story told of the former heavyweight boxer, James Quick Tillis. Uh, He was a cowboy from Oklahoma, and he fought in Chicago in the early 1980s. And he still remembers the first day in the Windy City as he arrived from Tulsa. He said, I got off the bus with two cardboard suitcases under my arms in downtown Chicago. I stopped in front of the Sears Tower. I put my suitcases down and I looked up at the tower and I said to myself, I'm going to conquer Chicago. And when I looked down, the suitcases were gone. Perhaps in some respects, perhaps the laborer might be trying to bring in the harvest all by him or herself, and they've become exhausted in trying to do it all on their own. They give it their all, and it never seems to be enough. But praise the Lord that the Lord of the harvest doesn't expect any one person to do the work him or herself and work themselves into an early grave. The apostles, they faced a very similar challenge in the early days of the Christian church. The immensity of the task could have overwhelmed them, but the Holy Spirit guided them to delegate more respons- or responsibilities to others and share the load. And that was a blessing to the church because from that point on, I mean, the church poof, exploded and grew. Praise the Lord that the Lord of Harvest doesn't expect any one person to do the work themselves. The Holy Spirit leads us to delegate and to share. God never demands us to do everything on our own. Make room for others to work alongside of ourselves, even if it might just create a few uh, moments of impatience or frustration. Just make room for, for folk to stand by you to, to work along your side. Building God's kingdom is teamwork, and we all have a work to do. Amen? Yeah, no doubt about that. Perhaps you're discouraged because you're trying to bring in the harvest in your own strength, trying to do it perhaps your own way, trying to, to pull it off and, uh, and do it in, in methods and ways that God can't bless. And you don't realize that. You're doing it in your own strength. Perhaps you've become offended by someone in the church. They said something to you when you were trying to help out and you said, well, if that's the way I'm going to be treated, then I'm not going to be helping anymore. You know, I, I've, I tell a number of people this because it happens all the time. We, we, we're, we're too easily offended. We have very thin skin. Um, we do. And I think we can admit to that at times. We, we do. Uh, but, but we have to remember that when we are coming before the king, sometimes we've got to ignore the entourage. 
Sometimes we, the entourage may misbehave at times. The entourage may not be doing exactly what they might, should be doing or saying the thing they ought to be saying. But we're here to worship and serve the king. It's about the king. It's not about the entourage. And so get involved. Get, uh, get busy. Forget what the person said. Forget what they said to you and how they said it to you. Maybe you just misunderstood how they said it to you. There's always that uh, explanation. Go to that person and just have a decent conversation with them, a healthy one, and get it right. Sometimes folk become discouraged because of perhaps what somebody has said. Let me reassure you that if you try to serve the Lord by trusting the Lord of the harvest, by trusting in your own strength, your own feelings and your own resources, you will become easily discouraged. We all need to live by the words of the prophet Zechariah, and I think we're going to put that up on the screen. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6, and here are some closing thoughts for us. Not by might, nor by power, but by, by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Truly, we will become discouraged non-laborers if we fail to apply these very important words. So here they are. Here they are, three possible reasons why there's a problem, why there is non-laboring laborers distracted, discouraged, indifferent. Three possible explanations. Are you thinking that this is a major problem? Big harvest, few laborers? It's a big problem. Jesus wouldn't have mentioned it if he didn't think so. It's a big, big problem. Man, there are too few laborers, too many of the professed followers of Jesus that have become distracted, maybe become indifferent, maybe just become downright discouraged. But there is good, good news. The Lord of the harvest can take distracted, indifferent, discouraged, non-laboring laborers and renew them by His grace. He can empower them with His Spirit and He can send them out as focused, effective harvesters in His vineyard. Oh man, in His field. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. This gospel, my friend, is going to go to the entire world. It's going to go. That's what that verse tells us. The Bible tells us that the job will get done and then Jesus will come. Do you know what that tells me? It's going to tell me that there are some folk, if they are distracted, they're just going to put those distractions aside. It tells me that some folk are just going to, just going to shake off their indifference. It tells me that there are some folk who are not going to let discouragement get them down. They're going to get on. They're going to become a part of the team. They're going to press the work forward. They're going to join hand in hand with others of God's people trying to pull the workload on their own. They're going to team up. That's what this verse tells me because the job's going to get done. It tells me that God's people are going to get it and they're going to get up and they're going to do God's work. Good news. Good news. Yes, the harvest is truly great. And yes, the laborers might be few, but I think we're going to get it by the grace of God. In closing, I'm going to put it up on the screen again for you. I want to remind us here today as we're talking about working for the Lord in His harvest, remind us of this little saying, and I'll share this with you over the next few weeks. I cannot work my soul to save, for that the Lord has done, but I will work like any slave 
for the love of God's dear Son. We're so glad you decided to tune in to today's Receiving the Word program. To discover more about the Bible, we'd like to invite you to enroll in our free online Bible studies by visiting saccentral.org and click on the Media Resources tab. To listen to other life-changing Bible messages from Sacramento Central Church, go to youtube.com forward slash The Central Connection or visit us Saturday mornings at 1050 a.m. for a live worship experience at 6045 Camille Avenue across the street from Sacramento State University. We look forward to seeing you there.